we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. episode of gratuitous sex and violence the podcast where we surf the waves of sex and violence bro gotta hang ten and catch that schlock yeah cowabunga uh, my name is Orlando and I'm joined by a special guest today his name is Gabe say hi Gabe hello everyone have you ever surfed before, Gabe? I have not. I, I've done uh, a body, is it bodyboarding kind of a thing where you catch the like the little waves as they're coming in? Is it bodyboarding or is it called boogie boarding? Boogie boarding, that's yeah. what it is. But it is bodyboarding, yeah. right? Yeah. You're using your body yeah. to board. <laughs> no, I grew up in Kansas, so there is no water. No water at all, not even a lake. Well, there is a lake, but no. <laughs> you didn't go swimming in the lake? I didn't go surfing in the lake. There's no surfing in a lake. <laughs> no. Um, but you've been around oceans and you've seen surfers and stuff. Since then, yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you've gone to California quite often. Yeah. Fairly often. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've actually, I've never gone surfing either. Not because I wasn't, I was uh, uninterested in surfing, but just because the, it never came up. I've been uh, near surfers quite often and I've been at beaches where surfing has been occurring. But I've never surfed. Yeah. But, you know, I'm not against it. I wonder if it's one of those things where you're, like, too old to learn to surf ever. I, I don't know. Have you been snowboarding? No. I feel like I've heard that that's very similar, but the way you control is slightly different. Yeah, like, it, from watching... Now, I forgot the name of this movie, which is surprising, but it's, it was an old uh, Disney movie about snowboarding. I think I know Johnny what, Tsunami or yes. something like that. <laughs> was it called Johnny Tsunami? <laughs> I think it, I want to say yes, but I know what movie you're talking about. And I feel I remember from watching that movie because he was a surfer who then moves to like a cold climate place to be. Yeah, he moves to like Vermont or something, and uh, and then he learns how to snowboard. But from watching that movie, if I remember correctly. Uh, one of them you you lean forward and one of them you leave back. And I'm not sure which one it is, but apparently know. that's the main difference between snowboarding and surfing. If that's even true. If I mean, that's, that's even true. I get my knowledge Movie language. Disney movies as a child, evidently. You, you go skiing and, and snowboarding and stuff. I've been skiing. I've never snowboarded, okay. but I've been skiing, yes. See, I've never even done that. I've never gone, I've, I've never gone like skiing or anything. Again, not I'm not like disinterested in it. The, the opportunity just hasn't presented itself to oh, me. Okay. It's fun. Unless you're terrified of heights like I am, and then there's parts of it that are just terrifying. I am terrified of heights, but I think like it's uh, it just depends mm-hmm. on how the height is presented. Got you. Like I feel like in a because I've been mountain climbing a lot, I go hiking a lot, and I feel like in in a circumstance like that, I'm not afraid of heights. Yeah. But in like a circumstance like where there's like a free fall beneath me, then I, I definitely am. I feel like the um, the vertigo of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're talking a lot about, <laughs> we're talking about snow. extreme sports, baby. <laughs> and the reason for that is because we're watching a classic today. We're watching Point Break, <laughs> a 1991 American action crime film directed by Catherine Bigelow. It stars Patrick Swayze, Keanu Reeves, Lori Petty, and Gary Busey. The film's title refers to a surfing term. It's the term point break, 
which means it's where a wave breaks as it hits a point of land jutting out from the coastline. I, I was literally, as you we, you said the title of it, I go, I wonder what that actually means. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm already learning stuff. Yeah. This is great. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we will find out, there's also kind of like a deeper allegorical meaning mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. Where the wave breaks. Uh, the film features Keanu Reeves as an undercover FBI agent um, who is tasked with investigating the identities of a group of bank robbers and who then develops a complex relationship with the group's leader. Have you ever seen this movie, Gabe? I have not seen this movie. Have you heard of this movie? I have heard of this movie. You and I have talk, talked about it. We have. Uh, was it, I guess, a year ago now mm-hmm. when I admitted that I hadn't seen it. And then Lindsay, my wife, we talked about it a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. and we're going to watch it and couldn't find it. But I, funny enough, I actually ordered the movie. Oh yeah, like you, like in a DVD or something. I bought the DVD oh. through uh, an online retail store. Nice for five dollars, and I'm still waiting for it to arrive before I knew that I was going to be on this episode. So wait, do you? Ha- how long ago did you order this movie? Like a week and a half ago. And it still hasn't arrived. A it freaking movie. Been. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. Uh, five dollars is about what it's probably worth on DVD. <laughs> I mean. The thing about this movie is, so it was pretty well received um, for its time, and it did make uh, some money. But I feel like its status is way more of a like a cult thing now. Okay. Uh, there's just this like aura around this movie um, because it's known as one of those movies where, like, literally, it, it's a testosterone-filled movie. <laughs> It's a gotcha. it's a dude's movie. It's a like, du- dude movie. It's a du- it's a bra movie. Yeah, bra. You know? And uh, like I you'll you'll see like there's there's literally like testosterone pouring out of every frame <laughs> of this movie, and it's directed by Catherine Bigelow. Now Catherine Bigelow she also she's recently directed uh, such great movies as uh, Zero Dark Thirty Hurt and Locker. The Hurt Locker. Uh, the Hurt, which she won the Academy Award for for Best Director for The Hurt Locker. Mm-hmm. Um, she's 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 more interested in making those types of movies now, like you know, like exploring true life stories like that. Um, but when she started out, she was making a lot of like male centric, and I, and and honestly, I kind of walked that back because I feel like. Hurt Locker is also a very male-centric movie. She just has like this really keen sense of how the male psyche works. It's kind of scary. <laughs> She's great. And um, part of me almost wishes that she would make another uh, over-the-top brotastic action movie. Because <laughs> she's awesome at it. And, and Point Break is definitely a classic for those reasons. I feel like it's very quotable and you'll see there's a lot of things that kind of like permeated pop culture from from this movie um i, I kind of want to like get your your feel on that i feel like a lot of people discount female directors a lot uh, especially because the male going audience is is sort of dominated by by men the, the movie going audience is mm-hmm. sort of dominated by men and like you hear a lot of for example recently with marvel marvel movies whenever they've chosen female directors there's been like an outcry from fans that doesn't make any sense right <laughs> it doesn't make any sense because we have Catherine Bigelow proving it that sh- that women can do it yeah just the same if not better 
it back in 1991. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Right. So I kind of want to get your 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 sense about like how 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 she approached maildom. Okay. You know, yeah. In a woman's view on testosterone in this movie and male friendships. Yeah. This movie pretty much, um, I mean, like the term bromance, all roads lead back to this movie. This movie doesn't mention that word, but I feel like anytime you talk about that, like every, the point break is, is comes up in the conversation. <laughs> it's the preeminent example of bromance on celluloid you okay. know all right um so i'm really excited to like kind of delve into that maybe we talk a little bit about the fragility of male egos mm. and how it relates to this film mm. um there's a lot of interesting things obviously this movie is a product of its time it has a kick-ass like synthwave soundtrack oh yeah there's a, there's a lot of like great action going on I and just, a lot of extreme sports yeah i just i hope that there's a shot where we get some sweet scents on a nice sunset <laughs> over the water. Oh, you don't even know. <laughs> you don't even know. So, if you guys at home want to watch Point Break with us, we are watching it on HBO Max. It's available on HBO and HBO Max. If you don't have a subscription to either HBO or HBO Max, you'll have to rent it. It's available at anywhere on demand, anywhere fine movies are downloadable. Uh, Fandango, Amazon Prime. It's like four bucks to, to download the HD version. It's not a high price to pay for a kick-ass 90s action movie. I mean, I will say, if it's $4 to rent, it's only a dollar more to buy the DVD. You can buy the movie. <laughs> and then wait like three weeks for it to come. <laughs> And by that point, you'll have forgotten. <laughs> it's also, I, I do want to mention before we break to watch the movie that there was a remake of this movie. I, I did see that when we were trying to find uh, it earlier, a couple weeks ago before we bought it. Yeah, Point Break was actually remade in 2015. And it, it was a terrible movie. <laughs> it got really awful, awful reviews. And there's no reason you should even watch it by mistake. So make sure that you are selecting the 1991 version with Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze. I, I do believe they call him a handsome young Keanu Reeves in the little breakdown when you look it up. On Prime? Uh yeah, sure. <laughs> is that where you found him? I don't remember where it is, but they call him a young, a handsome young Keanu Reeves. Well, he's a, he's a handsome old Keanu Reeves now. <laughs> I know. I don't. I don't. I, don't, I, don't <laughs> I feel like Keanu Reeves is just one of those people that just never ages. Right. So he's, he's he was handsome then. He's handsome now. Patrick Swayze is definitely handsome. A lot of handsome people in this movie. <laughs> so we're gonna break now. We're gonna watch this movie. Then when we come back after the break. We'll play some trivia and discuss the movie at length. Are you ready? Let's do it. To surf. The waves of schlock and watch Point Break. Yes. All right, guys, we're going to watch the movie. We'll see y'all on the other side. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. We just watched Point Break. The film was originally called Johnny Utah when Keanu Reeves was cast in the title role. 
the studio felt that this title said very little about surfing. So by the time Patrick Swayze was cast, the film was going by the name Riders on the Storm, which is uh, after the famous song by The Doors. However, those lyrics have nothing to do with the film. So that title was also rejected. It wasn't until halfway through filming that the title Point Break was chosen because of its relevance to surfing. You just watched it for the first time. First reactions. Uh, It was fun. It was action forward. Yeah. Um, There are a lot of moments that you kind of facepalm a little bit because of either early 90s references or uh, (laughs) uh, something along those lines. It's fairly Uh, over the top. It is. It is. It is. But in a good way. In a very good way. Um, I would say overall, I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. I had fun with it. Yeah, it is a fun movie. Yeah, and it moves through it. There was never, I don't feel like ever a part where my attention, you know, wavered or Mm. anything like that. So I thought that was nice. Yeah, I I do feel like the movie, if there is like a a significant technical criticism to it, I would say that it does run a little long for my taste. Um, So I do think that there's a point in the movie where I'm just like, Okay, let's Okay, go. let's wrap this up. <laughs> How much more brotastic can we get, honestly? Lots. <laughs> but as you saw, as I referenced at the beginning of, of the episode, it, there's a lot of testosterone in this movie. There's a lot of testosterone in that movie. <laughs> um, what did you think about, about that and its reputation? Do you think it's, it's earned its reputation as being like this very, uh, like, guys film? Well, I was unaware that that it had that reputation going into mm-hmm. it because um, I, I don't think we fully I fully said that at the beginning, but I didn't know much about the movie coming into it other than we had talked about it and that it was a surfer movie. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know it had that reputation. But yeah, there's a lot of uh, toxic masculinity yeah. <laughs> throughout the entire thing. I, I wrote it down, I underlined, and I gave an exclamation mark in my, my little Toxic! Notes. There's a lot. Just like the uh, the toxic, what is it, the toxic dumps that, that make it into the surfer's hairs. Right, yeah, that, the titanium <laughs> and serum. And <laughs> Apparently surfing is bad for your health. Maybe, I don't maybe, guess, uh, maybe, maybe in the early 90s. Maybe it's a low-key environmental movie. What do you think the... Uh, so Point Break, the title, I think, is, is fairly significant to the themes of the movie. Did you, did you like, get any feel, maybe, from after watching the movie, of, of what the title means, other than the reference directly to surfing? Um, I mean, because when you hear Point Break, you also think of, like, breaking point. Right. Naturally, that's where your mind goes to. And there's, you know, it gets to a point where you very clearly see... Our, our main characters hitting their breaking point. Mm. And I think that's, that is a key thing that it feels like they're highlighting in there, even though that's not the name of the movie breaking point, mm-hmm. the point break, but it's, but it's like, you know, like, uh, yeah, I agree with you completely. It, it, taking it a, a step further. It's like a wave, you know, is something beautiful, right? Right. Until it's not <laughs> until it reaches the, the point break. Yeah. Until it reaches like that piece of land. And then, it's gone. Yeah. You know, it breaks and then that's at the end of the wa- of the wave. Right. So it, I feel like the, the movie, that's what it's about. It's about that type of phenomenon, like almost like, um, 
like a like a firework almost you could say you know like it's beautiful until it's not and then yeah. and it's like and and then and at the same time uh, similar to a firework it's they're both destructive forces totally. even when they're beautiful they're destructive forces so i i along those lines too i i also wonder at the end uh, when when Brody's out on the water, clearly, that's what I said, right? You said I said Brody. 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 He was a Brody. Brody. But Bodie. his name was Bodie. <laughs> um, when he's out surfing, they they very much Kathleen Bigelow makes very much a point to show the jutting out land yeah. into the ocean where the, oh, yeah. the the waves are coming in. Do we think it is the point break that actually is? Bodhi's undoing or is it just he just gets swallowed by the wave uh, well metaphorically it's the point break that is his undoing yeah I mean I think like all all waves eventually reach a point break right and it's just that depending on depending on like how the ocean currents and and the land that they're facing or yeah. you know how they interact that's that's why some beaches have better point breaks and others. Oh, okay. I think I misunderstood what the point break was in our definition of it at the beginning. Yeah. It's so I'll, I'll yeah, re- refresh, refresh me on that. Cause I think I, I got it wrong there on that. Um, it's where a wave breaks as it hits a point of land jutting out from the coastline. Got you. So it's, it's, it's more about the wave breaking than it is the, the land itself. Yeah. But it's definitely about the interaction. It's almost like a, like a an un, un, unstoppable force meets an unmovable object. Okay. Right. Yeah. And that's really what the movie is. You're yeah. Right. It's yeah. an unstoppable force meeting. It's 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 Bodhi versus Johnny. <laughs> you it know. Is. It is. They're both like these forces of nature and and different in different ways. Like Johnny's very stoic and uh, and Bodhi is very like gregarious and just like extroverted and. He he wears like his emotions out on his sleeve. Right. Well, he doesn't have any sleeves, but you know. But when, if he did, if he did, he'd have them there. So it's definitely like uh, a a competition of almost like two types of alpha males. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They one hundred percent were very alpha males in their their you know respective circles and their in their neat their. Um, Clicks mm-hmm. within their, their jobs. In fact, uh, it's interesting to me that, that Patrick Stacey's character is named Bodhi. And in fact, Tyler explains to Johnny that Bodhi is short for um, bodhis- Bodhisattva. And Bodhisattva is a term of, from the Buddhist religion that means an enlightened being who, out of compassion, forgoes nirvana in order to save others. And the shortened version, Bodhi, is often attributed to mean wakefulness like he's he's an awake he's an awakened being who instead of forging his own journey to salvation his own journey to nirvana he forgoes that in order to help other people reach their nirvana uh and how do you think that that relates to to bodhi as a character it's certainly i think the way he sees himself that it yeah that's what i was kind of going through my mind when you were going through that is i think he sees himself that way but i don't know that his actions necessarily uh uh demonstrated that definition not eventually not eventually not in total right because um, he does do that. I mean, it is true with Johnny Utah, and you mm-hmm. really get that moment when 
they know who each one, each other are in their real skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they still go skydiving and, you know, yeah. they hit that moment of Nirvana. Of, yeah. This is the best thing in the world and right. everything else like that. Yeah. It's like, even then it's like, well, I'm going to show you the way kind of thing. Yeah. And you're, you're like, all of the experiences, like you're, you're going to love this, you know, like it's all about shepherding Johnny yeah. to, to a point where he wants to take him. Um, but yeah, but then he reaches the point break and that loveliness or the beauty of his soul, uh, kind of turns sour. Yeah. And we realize that he's actually not, it's, it's a very like cult leader kind of thing in a way. Right. Uh, yeah, he would definitely be a great cult leader. Well, yeah. I, th- I think you know, he was a great yeah, cult right? leader because he had the, the, the three or four other dudes that were with him mm-hmm. literally doing anything that he told them. Yeah. To. Yeah, he was the the gang leader, and yeah. and uh, and apart from that, it it made it seem the movie made it seem like he was almost like the the leader of of a of a huge faction of yeah. surfers. You know, <laughs> right. what, the house party was just like full of people. Yeah, doing who would shit. do whatever he wanted them to. And do. And everyone knew him. Like even the ones who like who were his enemies, they knew. Hey, they were like, hey, Bodie, stay out of this. Like they knew of him. Yeah. So ever like he just had like this. This presence in the movie. Yeah. I also think it's interesting that breaking down Bodhi is wakefulness, you said, mm-hmm. which, you know, like wake. Right. Like a wake. Wa- yeah. yeah like water, wake water wake and stuff like that as well. So there's like even more layers to the name. Yeah. Going and he in does there. lead a lot of destruction in his wake. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's <laughs> who wrote this? I mean, that's that's pretty great. Um, so actually, interestingly, uh, Catherine Bigelow, uh, James Cameron was a producer, executive producer for this. And Catherine Bigelow and James Cameron were together at the time. And they uh, wrote the final draft of the movie. They're uncredited because of like whatever the the WDA rules are. So they it's they're not credited with writing the movie, but they actually wrote the final draft of the movie oh, together. Interesting. Mm-hmm. OK. All so right. and James Cameron, like, he's a he's a pretty good writer. So he's OK. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> He's, uh, also, written, he's written some things. I disagree about this writers on the storm not having anything to do with the movie. But I mean, it doesn't though. It's about I mean, it's about driving in the rain. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but the, there's so many lyric word uh, lines in there about taking your final ride and the whole thing is culminating in this massive once in a lifetime storm. Yeah. I mean, you're taking the story, the song out of context. Yeah, for you are sure. taking it. Out. Yeah, it's not about driving; it's about surfing. But. Yeah, but you could totally still yeah s- run on Riders on the Storm and and ride into it. this house. You're born. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. Yes, that's a absolutely. great song. The it doors are fantastic. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the movie here in depth in a second. But first, let's play some Point Break trivia. Woo-hoo! Now, uh, are you excited about the trivia? I'm so excited about the trivia. You like I games? Love, I love games, and I love the trivia portion of the game of this of the show. Of the show, yeah. yeah. And you like do you, you you're pretty good at trivia, fairly, or what? How do you, you think? I am. Uh, mar- I, I like to think I'm good, mm-hmm. but I'm going to say I'm probably marginal. I, I've been on uh, bar trivia teams with yeah. you a couple of times. Yeah, we have. Yeah, we've done that. It's always fun. Yeah, it's always fun. We have a good time, regardless. Uh, this is going to be fun too. As always, the trivia consists of five questions and a bonus. The questions go in order from least difficult to most difficult, and the grand prize is bragging, bragging rights. rights. Woo! All right. Are you I ready love, for some bragging rights? I love to brag, so yes. Generally, what we find is if you get three right, you've got some bragging rights. 
So you just have to get three to get some bragging rights, and then the more you get beyond that, the more bragging rights you can accumulate. Okay, great. But we're gonna start you nice and easy. Uh, this is question number one. How long does it take the ex-presidents to rob a bank, quote unquote, door to door, which means from the moment they enter the bank to the moment they leave the bank? 90 seconds. 90 seconds is the right answer. They had their operation down. Very much. Um, you know, all, all the bank robbery scenes in this movie are very well executed. And it makes me think of like, like there are other movies that have great bank robbery scenes. Um, Heat is one of them that I think about. And and then the other one that comes to my mind is The Dark Knight. Starts out with that, you know, now classic scene of, of the Joker and all the clowns mm-hmm. robbing the bank. I really feel like The Dark Knight kind of homages both Point Break and Heat because the way that the robbery is executed is very reminiscent of Heat, but the way everyone uses a mask is very reminiscent of this, this movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what did you think about those scenes? I mean, that's part of the, the, the one of the main action I think is is the bank robberies. Yeah, yeah they're they're so good. They're um, and what's funny is that there's really one major bank robbery scene. Yeah, and all of the other bank robberies are sort of side storied to other action in the mm-hmm. scenes. We know? only see like two bank robberies, right? Right. We see one, but which is the quick one, and then the the main one at the very end. Yeah, and then a couple of like video things from yeah. other stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's all it's all really interesting. Is this the first was this the first movie to do the the presidents masked as bank robberies or or is there another movie that I can't say that, that for sure. But I know that there is a trope of criminals using presidential masks. Yeah. This is certainly I think the movie that where I, when I think of like bank robber president this is the movie that this I think is the of. one because I feel like I don't know I'm thinking of another movie I feel like that did use presidents in some criminal aspect and I'm trying to decide if I feel like they were referencing Point Break yeah I can't think that, of an example but I know that that's kind of a trope yeah. where people wear presidential masks to commit crimes right but I don't I'm not sure um, what the other ones are off the top of my head right now right I think what makes the the robbery so good, especially in in the the the, the bank robbery proper, I guess, because that's mm-hmm. the one that they focus on, mm-hmm. is because they make such a big deal of the ninety second time frame throughout the movie about this is how it goes. Once it starts, you, your internal clock, whether you know it or not, is thinking ninety seconds yeah. and that they're going. Yeah. And then when they call it out, sixty five seconds, you're like, oh. Yeah. Oh, it it's it's coming. That's a classic uh, device to increase suspense is to give give yourself a time clock or put a time clock in the scene. You yeah, know? classic. But that's what I think. That's what makes that that bank robbery so interesting and fascinating to watch mm-hmm. is that it hits that, and then of course you know they take it in a different direction. Yeah, it just falls <laughs> apart. We'll talk more about the bank robbery yes. in the next section. Let's go to question number two. That was super easy. This is kind of uh, building on question one, though. Uh, which are the presidential masks that the bank robbers, who are known as the ex-presidents, use during their heist? Which presidents do they use? Yeah, there's four of them, mm-hmm. right? And it's Nixon, I believe. Mm-hmm. It, well, no, it's Nixon, because they make a massive joke out of it. I am not a crook! <laughs> <laughs> uh, Reagan. Uh, I believe Kennedy was one of them. And I think they said LBJ was the other one. OK. 
Okay, okay. You got three out of four right. Carter was the other one I was thinking it was, but... It was indeed Carter. It was, okay. It was not Kennedy. It was uh, Carter. Yeah, okay. So it was uh, Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan, Jimmy Carter, and Lyndon Bain Johnson, known as LBJ. Those are the ex-presidents. I'll give you half a point for that one. All right. Because you did say Kennedy at first, but you did know it was Carter. I, I did. You can see here. I have all of <laughs> five of those names written down over here. But you did say Kennedy. I did say Kennedy. So I'm going to give you half a point. So that's okay. one and a half one and points. Half. <laughs> Let's go to question number three. What is the name of the fake dog that Papas calls out for during the raid on War Child's gang? They were looking for those snacks, man. They were looking for those Scooby snacks. It was Scooby! (laughs) (laughs) And you get a bonus point, or I guess in this case a bonus half a point, so you can make up for the other half a point. If you can tell me what breed he says it was. Oh. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, let me go into my mind and think about it. He was at the door. He was at the door. He was asking for his dog. And he says it was a sort of blank with a nose like blank. <laughs> I remember him doing the like. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, he didn't actually say a word. I, I don't know why he yeah. said blank there. Because he just said with a nose like this. It was like he just a, pushed up his. I'm assuming it's like a pug or a, a, a like a bulldog mix. Um Oh, I, I want to say like a Rottweiler bulldog mix or something, but I know that's not right. Okay, so you're giving up? Yeah, I'm giving up. Okay, so you're forgoing the point. But you, I mean, you, you got two and a half, so you don't really need it. You're doing pretty good. The breed was a cockapoo. Cockapoo. Which is a mix between a cocker spaniel and a poodle. Yeah. A cockapoo. A cockapoo. Uh, yeah, uh, Gary Busey in this is in this movie, and uh, you you had mentioned that you had no idea he was in this movie. I didn't know that. Yeah, he was really good in this movie. He's great in this movie. I mean, I, I, I like Gary Busey. He's, he has that wild energy. Yeah, there's moments where you're like, this is so un-Gary Busey, and then immediately follows a, the most Gary Busey yeah. thing you could imagine to happen. He has this really like interesting way of acting. Um, I mean, I don't know how to like put my hand on my finger on it because. Like, all I can say is it's, it seems very natural to him, mm-hmm. but I feel like that's acting, period. Right. So right. it's not something that's unique to him, but it is unique because it's him. Like, that scene, uh, I he's getting ready for the raid, and I feel like a, as he's finishing up, he's already calling the dog. <laughs> I, I noticed that. He's still buttoning up, covering up the wire, yeah. and calling for and the dog. And he's just, like, getting into it, you know? And I think, like, that's a really Gary Busey choice, and it works. Yeah. Like, that type, that guy, I can believe him. Like, he's that guy. He's like, okay, boom, next, next, you know? Uh, but, yeah, he was great in this movie. He's I, so good. And he he's... played really well off of Keanu Reeves yeah. also. Yeah, It's also crazy to me that the movie is kind of positioned, we'll talk about uh, more of the bromance stuff later on, but the movie's kind of positioned also as like a, a buddy cop thi- film thing. But then it's like also, where, when whereas there's a battle between the two alpha males, there's also a battle between the two buddies. Of, yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, there's... Y- y- there's yeah, because there's a, a battle for I don't know I don't I'm, now that I'm thinking about it I don't know if I would call it a battle because at the uh, the way that the thing that makes me think of that is like at the very last scene uh, well not the very last scene but the the last scene with Gary Busey at the airport um, Keanu almost has to choose between them and yeah. he and he sort of chooses to save Bodhi's life okay 
Yeah, I, I see where you're where you're going with that. Yeah, I think they're 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 setting up like that friendship and loyalty, but I think that goes into the the loyalty aspect of this and kind of diving into that cult leadery stuff yeah. mm-hmm. that's in there. Yeah. But I'm thinking oh, yeah. about alpha males in there as too, and then there's the the, the head of the FBI. And that battle that's happening. Oh, the head of the department, well. John yeah. C. McGinley. John C. McGinley, who plays a great hard ass. He always plays a great hard ass. So good. He was really good in this movie. So, but we can, we can. I guess we can get back to that in. Yeah. So, later. so you got two and a half points. You're doing great. Here comes question number four. You just need to get one half of a point more <laughs> for bragging rights. Okay. You got two questions to do it. Um, well, Johnny, when he first goes out and he tries his hand at surfing, he fails miserably. Mm-hmm. Uh, he almost drowns. Yeah. Tyler saves him. And then Johnny keeps, like, stalking her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she notices it. One of the places that he goes to is at a restaurant, like a seaside restaurant that she works at. And uh, he places an order. And my question is, what is the order that he places at the restaurant? Yeah, What's he ordered order? shrimp and fries. Shrimp and fries! Shrimp and fries! <laughs> Correct! Um, have you ever had shrimp and fries? Uh, yeah, like fried shrimp and fries. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, like Long John Silver. Yeah, or just <laughs> like... Or at the beach, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, they they I go have, very well together. They're so good. A little lime, you know? Maybe a little malt vinegar on top oh, of yeah. it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm a so, malt vinegar fiend when it comes mm, to fries. Anything it's like that. Anything like fried fish and, and fried, like fish and chips. Oh, yeah. Right. And, I, and it's so good because... You know, I feel like after the beach, you want something fried like that. Every time I've been mm-hmm. to a beach, I want to go get like fish tacos or. You exert a lot of energy on yeah, the beach, right? Not even doing a whole lot, but yeah. <laughs> you it's just like, want it. It's like low resistance, but it's it's like it's, you're working every single muscle in your body. Yeah. Like I was thinking about like during the chase scene later on. Like, man, they just keep going and going and going. It was like, well, yeah, because they, they literally go surfing every day. They're fucking toned. Yeah. I've never seen an overweight surfer, you know? <laughs> right, right. They're just like, yeah, that, that, exactly. They, they, they're in good shape. Yeah. Um, so you have three and a half points. Congratulations. <laughs> I've already got bragging You've rights. You've got bragging rights. Yes. Here comes the last question. Question number five. This is the hardest question of the quiz. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you, are you confident? I'm ready. <laughs> You're not doing too bad, so here we go. What is the name of the beach where Bodie hopes to ride the big one? Oh, the, the at Bell's Beach in Australia. That's right, it's yeah, Bell's, Bell's beach, beach in Australia! They only mentioned that twice in the movie, so... Really? There's, they only mentioned it once at the campfire... And then at the end, there's a sign that says Bell's Beach. So, really good uh, catch there, keeping that in mind. It is indeed Bell's Beach. Um, yeah, we were both like talking about how we would not get into that water. No, definitely it not. It looks very violent. <laughs> yeah. I grew up in Kansas. We talked about this. Mm-hmm. I, I, I um, am not comfortable in ocean water. And I see like sometimes footage... Uh, Mostly like from Hawaii. Hawaii has a reputation for having huge waves. Yeah, uh, of like people like hanging ten on on twenty foot waves or whatever. That sounds terrifying. Or I guess it, I guess uh, you know it's like, but they're talking about like 40, 50 foot waves at Bell's <laughs> Beach, right? That that was a, you know it was a fifty foot wave that he was hoping to get. Like that can capsize a ship, I think. I would 
I would hope so. <laughs> I mean, I don't hope it capsizes ships, but I would imagine it would. Yeah, I mean, that's that's terrifying. And I mean, even a 20-foot wave would be scary for me. I, I think I've had like five or 10, it felt like 10, but was probably mm-hmm. five. And that was terrifying. I know at, at Robert Moses, which I think we've been to together, yeah. uh, Robert Moses has some pretty big waves for New York. Yeah. And I feel like the the biggest that they ever get there are maybe like four or five or maybe six feet, but they're they're pretty strong at that at that height, you know? <laughs> right. So I don't know. Uh, they're fun. Waves waves are fun, but um, I uh, breathing is more fun. Maybe I, I like breathing. <laughs> I like having control over where my body's going. Yeah, like if, if you're like topsy turvy under a wave and like the current's just taking you, it's like oh I don't know. I'm not okay with that. Yeah, because how how much also would the 50 foot wave bury you? That's what I'm worried about. You know, like the pressure of just like it just sucking you down and like because you have to swim up. Yeah. Do you even know where up is? No, and I don't think Bodhi did either. I mean, it's implied that he perished. Yes. So, which is the way he wanted to go, right? Doing the thing you love, man. Four and a half points. Four and a half. I did. You did fantastic. You do not need the bonus, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Ooh, ooh, ooh. The bonus is super easy, though, because okay. you, you already answered it while you were watching the movie. Oh, did I really? Yeah. Oh, that's great. So you're going to, like, ace this quiz. Um, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Here we go. Uh, Anthony Kiedis plays Tone. He is one of the Nazi gang surfers. He's better known as the frontman for which Southern California funk metal band? I mean, I feel like, which I was surprised they didn't use any of their music (laughs) in this. Nope. Because I feel like any true California movie has to use the Red Hot Chili Peppers in the soundtrack. You can make an argument. Somewhere. You can make an argument. But yes, it is the Red Hot Chili Peppers! Um, Of the band, Flea, who is the bass player, actually has more of a film presence. He's been in a few movies. Uh, Anthony Kiedis has not been in many movies, but this is one of them. Uh, It was a very small role. He did. He only had like a couple of lines. Very he memorable. shot himself in the foot. <laughs> <laughs> he had the hair. Um, but yeah, he was pretty memorable. Um, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, of course, is one of the more the most successful bands in the history of the United States. They've sold uh, over 80 million records. Um, in 1991, when this film was being released, they were releasing Blood Sugar Sex Magic, their fifth album. And their second album with uh, John Frusciante, was, uh, started, who joined the band for Mother's Milk. That was their previous album. And uh, for me personally, I think that John Frusciante represents classic Red Hot Chili Peppers. That's like that's the Red Hot Chili Peppers that I uh, like the most. It's their John Frusciante period. He left and then came back. Um, he left after this, and they, I, th- I think, and then they had Dave Navarro like for one album and then John Fushanta came back for Californication mm-hmm. and Stadium Arcadium and then he left again and I think now he's back Is again. Is he back again? I think he's back again. I think they convinced him to come back. So it's one of those <laughs> on again know, off again uh, relationships yeah, exactly. that we've all had. Yeah. <laughs> but they're great. Red Hot, Red Hot Chili Peppers are great. So you did great. You aced the quiz. Let's talk a little bit more about this movie. This was Catherine Bigelow's highest grossing film until Zero Dark Thirty in 2012. And I mentioned at the beginning, 
that I wanted to talk a little bit about how a female director's eye kind of shaped the story, which was such a male-centric story. Uh, did you think about that while watching the movie? And then what are your thoughts on that? I didn't mm-hmm. think about it other than um, knowing that she had directed it because she's just a solid storyteller. Yeah. And I think that's that's ultimately what it is and what I would hope a director would be is being mm-hmm. able to craft the story. And she does that so incredible. Right, right. Um, yeah, so uh, having her or even a female director wasn't necessarily something that I, I really thought of in there. Although I think that maybe she does a good job of pointing out some of the toxic max masculinity mm-hmm. in there. And I think that's maybe what makes her so good at it is she is able to bring it out in a way that you can watch it and be entertained and go like, <laughs> yeah, that, like I know people who are like that. Mm-hmm. but also then look at that and go, that is like kind of stupid behavior. Mm-hmm. I do feel like um, when you watch like other movies that are very like male centric or testosterone driven, like a lot of, you know, the eighties were known for having like big macho action stars, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, Sylvester Stallone, uh, John Claude Van Damme came a little bit later, uh, Steven Seagal movies of that ilk. Uh, where it was all about like muscles and um, just pure testosterone, right? Yeah. Uh, and and I feel like a lot of times those movies they seem to glorify over the top masculinity, whereas like this movie I really feel that even though it has over the top masculinity, it does a really good job at pointing out the flaws of the over the top masculinity. And I do feel like this she does a really good job of showing you like the the depth beneath that posturing. Yeah. Right? Uh, there was that one point when they were at, at the big house party where Tyler gets up and leaves after mm-hmm. everybody is showing yeah. how macho they are. Yeah. And I thought that was, a, that, was, that was one of those moments that I thought she focused on the right thing to point out how stupid that was rather than glorifying what they were behaving around at that mm-hmm. moment. They t- she took a moment to point it out and then it moved on to a different thing, which mm-hmm. I thought was pretty cool. But it is a very male centric movie. It's almost like, like she's shooting like a documentary on men, you know, like it, it has that, it has that kind of eye. Like she's like, these are my subjects <laughs> to me anyway, like feels almost that way. Like the way that she shoots like the surfing, I pointed out, like she shoots the surfing very beautifully, but it's almost like that. Like she's like capturing males in nature, in the environment, <laughs> like in, in their, their habitat. <laughs> you know what I'm Here's saying? Here's the wild male. Yeah, the wild male on the wave. <laughs> right? It's the surfer species. Do you they, get like that vibe? I, I get what you're saying with mm-hmm. that. I, that. That wasn't something that I uh, clocked as I was watching it, but... Um, I do, you know, like we were saying here, I think that she just does a really good job of highlighting those moments. And she does a a good job of um, being able to build a scene in a way that highlights that Mm -hmm. and makes it feel organic and natural, but then can also turn it and say, you know, but is it necessary or make you ask questions about what, why that behavior could be problematic or why it could be beneficial in the scene or Mm -hmm. anything else like that 
We're gonna go into the first of our GSV segments. This one's called Shot, 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 Shots. This is all about the gratuitous violence and death in the movie. It's an action film from the early 90s, so there is quite a bit of violence. Here's the big question How many deaths in the movie? Oh boy. Um, there was at least three at the airport, <laughs> four if we count Bodie, uh, five, six, seven. Um, I'm going to say like 13. <gasps> it's, a good, it's a good guess. It's a good guess. There are eight confirmed kills in confirmed. the movie. Okay. Okay. But there are two maybe kills. So it's between eight and 10. Okay. Because there there's like, like a, one character that gets stabbed, but it's not confirmed whether they died or not. And then another character that might be dead, but it's not really confirmed on screen if they are dead. But there are eight who are definitely dead on screen. Right on. Um, if you can answer this, we talked about the dead presidents. They are probably the most memorable or some of the most memorable deaths, I'd say. Can you answer which order they die in? The ex-presidents. Uh, oh. Nixon is the one that gets shot first in the bank, I believe. Yes. So I think he doesn't die, though, right away, because he gets shot and comes back up later. LBJ is maybe the first one who dies. Uh, Reagan is obviously the last one who dies. I'm going to say it's... LBJ... No, I'm going to say... I'm, t- I'm doubting myself on all of this now. I'm trust gonna, your gut. Yeah, trust Feel my gut. the wave. All right, I feel the wave. Hold on, let me get zinned with it. Cool. It's LBJ, Carter, Nixon, Reagan. It's LBJ, Nixon, <laughs> Carter, Reagan. Carter and Reagan. It was close. You mixed them up. Yeah. But... Here's a, an easy uh, cheat for the future. Oh, is that the order in which? They were killed in chronological order, respective to how they, when they served in office. Oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's smart. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good little yep, tidbit here. Ray, uh, Carter was the only one of those that is still alive anyway. That's true. <laughs> yeah, absolutely true. And he's like almost 100. Yeah. That's the only reason he's still alive. And still building like houses. Really yeah. Yeah. Jimmy Carter. Um, what are some other moments of memorable violence in this movie? What stood out to you? I mean, the the raid on the house. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of like crazy in-house <laughs> fight that happens in that. Mm-hmm. Um, the the chase scene I thought was great. The chase scene is I pretty. I love awesome. the chase scene. There That's wasn't one of the a lot highlights. of highlights. There wasn't a lot of violence in that, but it, it I'm it's violent adjacent. So yeah, I'm gonna keep it's it. action. Yeah, it's action. Um, in fact, like the the, the 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 chase scene culminates in one of the most famous shots of the movie, which is the climbing of the fence. Climbing of the fence and Keanu. Staring unloading into the air because he can't shoot his friend 
I mean, that's that's classic. Well, they made some deep eye contact there before he did it. They so did. I'm, we're going to get into the romance stuff. I feel like we're, we're we just want to dump into the romance. <laughs> Next segment. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a classic uh, shot. What did, did you? And I feel like that's one of those things where that's over the top. Yeah. Unloading your clip into the air. Yeah. But it works, right? It you well, you see the frustration and you see the inner inner battle that's happening with with Keanu in that moment, Johnny mm-hmm. Utah, mm-hmm. which I think is good. Yeah, I think that's really good too. Um, uh, other like you know gun trivia for the gun nuts out there. I want to talk about the shotguns that were used by the ex presidents. Um, Nathaniel and Gromit are both using Mossberg five nineties with an extended tube and a Mossberg five ninety eight T with a pistol grip. Uh, they also have a sawed-off Ithaca 37 and a Remington 870. Personally, I feel like a sawed-off shotgun is always a really cool gun to have. I, I mean, I feel like did one of the guys in the house raid have one of those too? Because one of those guns... The guys in the shot- house raid had like everything. They had like an arsenal. <laughs> they could have invaded a country in that. Oh, man. Papa's Gary Busey's handgun is an older model, two-inch charter arms... Undercover 38 Special. It looked kind of like an Old West six-shooter is kind of what it looked like. That's kind of what his character was, too. His character was like definitely like an Old West guy, yeah. right? That's kind of what it felt like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Gary Busey, I think, would be like perfect for that. I wonder if it, has he ever made a cowboy movie? He's got to have, right? right? If not... I can't think of it if now. If anybody who has money is making movies right now, make a Gary Busey I know. Western. He needs a revival. Yeah. Like put him in, just make him like an old sheriff in a movie or something. <laughs> yeah. I think it'd be perfect for it. A nice post-apocalyptic, like we go back to Western. <laughs> right. Um, so a lot of the action in this movie is extreme sports. Yeah. Surfing, skydiving. Parkour. There's not, that's not violent, you might say, but I think that anything that it's like a human versus the elements, there's a, there's a, there's an element of violence, right? Mm-hmm. I think like the waves are violent. Throwing yourself out of an airplane with the with the land like just racing towards you that seems pretty violent to me. <laughs> it seems very stupid too. But would you ever go skydiving? I battle with myself all the time about that. I think I would love to do it, but I probably would never do it. Do you think that that if you were on the plane, like you would freeze up? I think I would freeze up. Yeah. I think if I could somehow get out the door, mm-hmm. I would enjoy it. What would, what scares you more? The idea of, of surfing a huge wave, maybe not a 50 foot wave, but maybe a 20 foot wave or skydiving. Um, I, uh, I would say, Oh, they're, they're both terrifying to me. <laughs> they're both. Yeah. They're both, I would say that the skydiving is maybe a little more frightening to me yeah. because I already have a fear of heights mm-hmm. and my fear of oceans is less um, paralyzing than fear of heights. Yeah. Heights is uh, really tough for me too. Uh, it, it's all, I feel like it's always like in a relation. Uh, it's relative. Yeah. Because I feel, you know, when I go, like I said at the beginning of the show, like when I go like climbing somewhere, like. I'm not afraid of like a high. Like if I'm an, if I climb a mountain and I look over like, yeah, I'm really fucking high, but it doesn't bother me. Yeah. But I feel like if I, if there's like a, a, a chasm beneath me, then, then yes. Like, like if I climb a tree and I'm expected to like jump into or, or jump off a cliff into a, a, a river or a lake or something, that's different. Yeah. Right. 
Yes. And, and I'm similarly, I'm, I'm happy to go climbing. I can go on ladders, like really tall ladders. Mm -hmm. I've helped, you know, in theaters work on lights and that Mm -hmm. never bothered me. But even when I go climbing and there's a a ledge or a cliff, I'm going to stand a good 10 feet from the edge of that cliff because I'm not comfortable with it. I can enjoy the, the, the distance. Mm -hmm. I don't need to see the, the drop off. There's a lot of great stunts in this movie. Yeah. And whoever those stunt people were, some people are always uncredited, but they were amazing. They did yeah. a lot of crazy shit in this movie. The interesting thing is that Patrick Swayze actually uh, refused to use a stunt double for a lot of his surfing scenes. I wondered. Mm-hmm. Because he said he had never used one for his fight scenes or car chases, so he just wanted to do it. And of all the surfers, I really felt like Patrick Swayze was the most natural with it. But the crazy thing is, like, all, all of them, um, Lori Petty, Keanu, and Patrick, they took surfing lessons for two months before the movie. Okay. So they weren't, like, pro surfers before the movie started. But he did feel, I feel like he had, like, a very natural knack for it. Mm-hmm. At least it, it came across to me. So do, did he, uh, Patrick Swayze had never surfed before doing the surf lessons he said, before this? So he was the one who was the most experienced of the three. But he said that he had only done it a couple of times before he took lessons for the movie. Okay. And then both Keanu and Lori, Lori especially, uh, Lori said that she'd never even been in water before this movie. <laughs> That's what she said. But, um, but yeah, so uh, Patrick Stacey was the most, had the most experience with Interesting. it. So did he, not a lot. That one shot at the beginning where he essentially is like laying down against the wave. Shot. I don't know if that's him or a stunt performer. Because right? that's too beautiful of a shot. That's in, if, if he was able to pick it up in like <laughs> two, two months, months plus two days <laughs> and be able to do that, 25 is not too old for anybody to learn to surf. Right. Well, he wasn't, I mean, he wasn't 25. He was... Uh, Right, but that's the line. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess he—I guess he was around. He was probably older than Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves was twenty-six been. when he made this movie, and I'd say Patrick uh, Swayze was probably like in his thirties or something. He had to be right, because right? I feel like Patrick Stewart was probably Swayze. Swayze. Although Patrick Stewart would have been amazing as Patrick a- <laughs> Stewart would have been awesome in this movie as Bodie. That would have been a di- completely different movie, but just as great. Patrick Swayze had to have been like twenty-five when he did Dirty Dancing. Yeah, right. And I don't know how many years earlier before that this that was. That was a few years earlier. So I, th- I feel like that's like early 80s, right? Yeah. So yeah, he was probably like in his late 20s, early 30s, I would say. He definitely had like a, a like an older, younger man vibe to mm-hmm. him with the whole with the hair and the beard and stuff. Um, I mean, Patrick Swayze, he was always in really good shape. He's he's always been a bit of, uh, he was always a bit of a, an adrenaline junkie. In fact, he was an accomplished skydiver. Um, and he took part in the big skydiving scene. He made 55 jumps in total. And well, he did this as a hobby. Like to him, it was like nothing. But the producers of the movie actually told him to stop for insurance purposes. They told him, you can't do this in your own time for insurance purposes. They didn't even want him to skydive in the movie. But then once we were, they were filming, they found out that he would like go off and skydive in his own time. And he ended up jumping 55 times in the movie for the, for the skydiving scenes. So he just completely like blew them off and did the skydiving anyway. But that's crazy to me. Well, again, you know, talking about how natural he felt with the, uh, the actual surfing part of it, I, being able to have him flying 
through the air right. as a skydiver and being able to get a shot where you don't have to hide maybe somebody who's attached yeah. to him or something yeah. like that. I, what, More natural. Was great. It yeah, was great. You could feel the authenticity <laughs> yeah. of it. In fact, he was so crazy about skydiving that Gary Busey recalls that he would that Patrick, Patrick Swayze would pester him and badger him about skydiving until he finally agreed to go with him after they finished filming. So he roped poor Gary Busey to go skydiving with him. So Patrick Swayze was Bodie. He was. He Bodie. literally <laughs> was doing that to the rest of the people on the on yeah. the set. It was like, hey, come on, come, come do on, this. Man. You're this gonna love it. Adrenaline rush. It's gonna be amazing. <laughs> Uh, the big skydiving stunt, though, is the one where Johnny Utah just goes after him without a parachute. Crazy. He armed with a gun. Yeah, that, that's the dumb thing. That, that was the dumb thing I was referring to earlier about skydiving. Like, yeah. that's dumb. That's that really dumb. dumb. That's dumb. Um, that scene was actually tested by Mythbusters. Yeah? Mm-hmm. It was determined that Utah and Bodie would not have been able to free fall for 90 seconds as in the movie, nor would they have been able to hold a conversation in midair. There's a lot of... I feel that, that about a lot of the stuff. Like, they were having conversations while surfing and conversations while skydiving. No, that you would never do that in real life. Right. There's, it's impossible. But anyway, suspension of disbelief. <laughs> However, it was determined that by streamlining his body... Utah could have conceivably caught up with Bodhi after jumping from the plane. Interesting. So at least the part where he jumped out and caught him could have been mm-hmm. real and like latched on and did the rest of it. But the whole conversation piece wouldn't have happened. Correct. Gotcha. So what did you think about Swayze's performance in the movie as a whole? Swayze's amazing. Yeah. I think Swayze's great. He is really good. Um... I thought it was nuanced. I thought it felt natural and hearing all of these like things yeah. that he did on set. It, it, it was natural. It was like for Tom to Cruise before Tom Cruise, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Just doing crazy shit. Just doing that crazy stuff. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I thought he was really engaging and was sort of a sympathetic baddie. Now, I kind of, uh, when, I, when I gave you the description of the movie, the, the description of the movie kind of gives away... Um, there's really not a plot twist, right? Like, from the beginning, you pretty much knew that he was one of the robbers. Yes. Um, did that, like, color your expectation of, of, of this character or his performance at all? Or do you think, like, it ruined any of the enjoyment knowing that he was one of the ex-presidents? No, I don't think so. Do you think that you felt, like, maybe pulled into his circle a little bit? Like, was there a moment in the, in the movie where you were like, okay, I'm kind of in his corner? Yeah, I think there's, and that's what I think makes him the sympathetic kind of baddie is that you see that for most of the movie, his intentions are good, Mm. even though he's doing this bad thing Mm -hmm. on the side. But they even make a point of it at the beginning where they say they've robbed all these banks, but they've never shot anybody. They've never Mm -hmm. hurt anybody. They like go out of their way to not hurt anybody when they do that. He says he doesn't like violence. And he just says he doesn't like violence. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they've set it up for the first part of the movie that even though he's doing this questionable thing, he is doing it for big air quote, the right reasons. Right. And so I think that's part of what makes him sort of this, you know, person that you can kind of get on board with Mm -hmm. and fall into 
and fall in love with the character a little bit until he goes too far, mm. right? And then he embraces the the violence and stuff until he hits his point break. Yeah. Um, and then, and but I, yeah, I thought he was very sympathetic and it was easy to buy into it. And I wish more movies had um, baddies that were as likable as he was. Sympathetic and, yeah. and likable. Why not? I mean, there. I think there are a few, like, I always feel like, uh, a good movie villain has to be charismatic, right? Like to be memorable. Yeah, if you don't like them, why do I? Why do I care about this movie lasting for two hours and two minutes? Like sometimes you enjoy the the villain more than the hero. Yeah, sometimes. 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 Um, the other main character was Keanu Reeves. Uh, he played Johnny Utah. It's interesting. Johnny Utah, the character, became an FBI agent after he had a knee injury that ended his football career. In real life, Keanu Reeves was an aspiring hockey player who suffered a knee injury, and that's when he decided to become an actor. Mm. This was his first action film. Before this, he was known mainly for making teenage movies and art house films. Some critics even criticized his appearance in this film because they feared that Keanu would ruin a serious acting career by becoming an action star. And he ended up making a bunch of action movies after this. You know, he made Speed right after this. He is in The Matrix, which is a phenomenal um, movie. Uh, he is in the John Wick movies. Constantine was another. Constantine. What did you feel about Keanu's performance in the movie? I, you know, there's something as much, f- you know, um, things or uh, I guess jokes as there are about Keanu. Mm-hmm. There's a way he has about. He- a, a, a way he delivers his lines mm-hmm. that are both the the most Keanu way of delivering a line in the jokiest way, but also the right way that you would envision the character to deliver the line in, in, in an oddly, incredibly sincere fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know. I really loved him in this. As because he is an action person in this, an action movie star in this, but I I don't think it goes quite to the same action lengths that maybe John Wick or that yeah. Matrix do. Yeah. Um, he's because he's kind of like finding his way in this movie. He's, he starts out kind of lost, yeah, and then Bodhi kind of helps him find his way. So it's it's a very interesting um, journey for the character. I do feel like, so Keanu, the actor, I feel like he he went through a point where, you know, he started out making comedies and stuff. And so people like kind of accepted him as that. And then he went through a time where I feel like he caught a lot of flack from the public. Like he was still fairly popular, but there was a lot of like memes making fun of him and just people just like joking around. And then somewhere, I guess like around the time when he's made John Wick, like public perception has changed and now he I feel like he has like a, a beloved actor status. Yeah. I feel like now everyone's like so excited about how wholesome he is as a person and how how fantastic he is in his roles. He really does commit very full heartedly into all of his roles and he's fantastic in, in the action sequences. Um his physicality is great. I really love the just like the vulnerability that he displays in this movie, mm-hmm. um, especially like in his relationship with Tyler, there's a lot of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it that's a, a great 
point to jump into our next segment. The next segment is called Boobtube. <laughs> and we're talking about the gratuitous nudity and sex. Um, there are there is quite a bit of nudity and sex. This is a rated R film from the early nineties. Really? I, okay, go ahead. And <laughs> so the vulnerability that he displays, like right after him and Tyler spend the night together the first time uh, beside the campfire, mm-hmm. and when he's late to go to work and yeah. he can't stop kissing her. Right. I I I don't know like if that was like an acting choice or if it was a Catherine Bigelow choice. But that really resonated with me. Like, it really read. Like, I could tell, oh, yeah, he is into her. And not in a a purely physical kind of way. It's like, honestly, like, he would rather stay with her on the beach than go to work. Yeah. But he has his other life that he has to get to. Yeah, I feel like we've all had those you know, those moments where we don't want to leave the person that we have to leave, Mm -hmm. even though the clock says we should have left 30 minutes ago (laughs) for whatever Mm -hmm. reason. And so I think, you know, that, that moment was only a a 10 second little scene or something like that. Mm -hmm. It was so short. Yeah, it was. But said so much it did. about what their relationship mm-hmm. is and what it meant to each of them. Yeah, it grew the relationship in a very significant way. And like you said, in a very short period of time, um, you really buy where they need to be for the end to work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the sex in the movie is always implied. I feel like that we see a lot of before sex and after sex or not a lot, but like a couple of times. Yeah. Um, but there is um, nudity during the Nazi raid. The raid. That's the only time that there's nudity. <laughs> so we get nudity from the Nazi floozies. Yeah. <laughs> and only really one of them. Only really one of them. There's partial from one of, from the other. She yeah. has like the high waist, that early 90s, late 80s high waisted thong look, yeah. which I don't know where that look came from or where it went, but apparently <laughs> people wore high waisted swimwear at some point. Um, what did you think about the quality of the nudity and sex in the movie? I thought it was interesting because I was sort of expecting it to be more upfront about it just because of the time period of the movie mm. and being sort of this broy uh, surfer movie about, you know, the uh, crime scenes and stuff like that. So you, that's kind of the images that you brought bring in. Mm-hmm. But really, the 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 one female that was completely nude that you notice and can clearly clock was nude. Like, there's really only one brief moment where you fully see her nude, and mm-hmm. the other is sort of implied nudity as a silhouette in right. the shower. Right. And and she is one of the like. Did the most damage in the <laughs> house scene. She was the one she who was, was ass. F- fighting back the most. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was an interesting thing, a choice that both the the nudity wasn't sat upon, like it wasn't really made notice of other than the silhouette. So there wasn't a lot of male gaze. Exactly. That's maybe the, mm-hmm. the phrase that I'm looking for. There wasn't a lot of male gaze other than the silhouette. Right. But I think the whole point of the silhouette was to set the scene of right. what was there, not so much as saying, ooh, look at this naked lady in the shower. Mm-hmm. It was, this is kind of what's been going on in this house. Mm-hmm. Now we're moving on with it. 
And then she ends up being the one who is kicking the most ass in the in the house. And she doesn't even have a gun. Right. <laughs> right. I do feel like, uh, yeah, there is not a lot of male gaze, not even like really towards the male characters. There's not a lot, even though I do feel like a lot of the sex appeal of the movie comes from the male characters. Yeah. Like Patrick Swayze, especially. He was a very sexy guy, Mm -hmm. you could say. But uh, yeah, but I don't think there was a lot of like lingering, leering shots from Catherine Bigelow at any point. No. Right? Um, Even though we do see a lot of physicality from them, like when they're tussling at at, at the beach at the end, like, you know, that's guys fighting. I mean, come on. Like, I feel like a male director probably would have had them like shirtless. Right. And just like really focusing on their muscles. And Catherine Bigelow like really focused on more on the relationship than the physicality. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's probably true of, of most of the action scenes in the movie, whereas other action scenes uh, from this era would totally focus on the physical aspect of, of accomplishing whatever's being accomplished. She was really focused on the characters and their relationships the whole time. And that shows, and mm-hmm. that's why you, you buy into their relationships, all of them. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, the triangles that are built between everybody uh, in there. I'll also say that uh, you, you do get a nearly nude Keanu Reeves in there as well. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Like quite nearly nude <laughs> Keanu Reeves. If that sheet was yeah. pulled down just any, a, just another inch. <laughs> any further, you were getting a lot of Keanu Reeves. And I thought that was, you know, I feel like that's another thing that makes sense for the character because it was post- Tyler staying over the night after a big emotional scene, Mm -hmm. you don't, you're not going to think about, Oh, I'm going to make sure this sheet is up and over me because I'm, I'm worried about offending male viewers who are going to maybe see a little more of Keanu than they want to comfortably see. (laughs) It's not about that because it's about telling the story of Mm -hmm. this character is so into Tyler that it, it's just, you know, the emotion of coming out of it. And I think it and that was something that I noticed that I was surprised that so much of Keanu was available <laughs> for our viewing pleasure. <laughs> mm. um, Tyler, you mentioned Tyler. She's played by Lori Petty. She's our main female character. In fact, our only real major female character in the movie. Well, what did you think about Tyler, the character and then also, what did you think about Lori Petty's performance of, of Tyler? Um, I think Tyler was interesting as far as the the set piece goes between the two of them. I think she's easy to like as a character just because you feel like um, you get a little bit of her backstory in, in Johnny Utah's exploration of trying to manipulate at a time before mm-hmm. he knew, you know, who she was. Mm-hmm. So that makes her a sympathetic char- character before you even get to know her. But I feel like they could have given us more of Tyler as a way to, to make her more of a well-rounded character, because other than being a set piece as somebody who had kind of a, a, a shitty past 
and has been a girlfriend to Bodhi and is now in a thing with Johnny Utah. We don't really know much else about her. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's maybe a missed moment that we could have had in there other than she likes to surf. Right. Too. Right. Teach me to surf, woman. Yeah, um, yeah I, I agree with that, actually. I feel like Tyler is an interesting character also because the movie, again, it's a very male-centric movie, and the only female presence in the movie is a tomboy. Mm-hmm. So even then, it's a very masculine female presence, or at least it's played that way. Yeah. She's one of the guys. She's playing football with them. You know, yeah, she's in there. She's getting rough and tumble with all with, with all of the sports and the, yeah. the surfing and the action and she's stuff. She's got like the that. short hair. Mm-hmm. She's not. She doesn't exploit her femininity, right? And I feel like that's a very deliberate choice, obviously, to do it that way. And it almost like you know makes you feel like maybe again going back to Catherine like pointing her camera at being like this is like a nature special on <laughs> male whatever you know testosterone like i feel like it extends to even that it's mm-hmm. almost like she she she's more of a of a femme character than a female character to me i can understand that yeah and so it's almost like it's almost a way for like it, you know her and bodhi it's almost like johnny utah is exploring his masculinity his bromance you know so to speak with with uh bodhi but ex- but exploring his feminine, his softer side with, uh, with, Tyler. with Tyler. And even the name Tyler is Tyler. a very masculine kind of name. Androgynous name, yeah. Yeah, totally. what did you think about that? I, yeah, I didn't really honestly think about it at any <laughs> point in there. I was just like, oh, yeah, her name's Tyler. Cool, all right. Mm-hmm. But it, it didn't really, I didn't think about it much. So it didn't really, I guess. I think like a good story, a good fun. story wouldn't make you realize those things while you're watching it. Yeah, a good story doesn't. Right. Which this one did a very good job of not making me think about it. (laughs) It's just something that you think about in retrospect and how it it influences, like, what the point of the movie is. Yeah. And and to me, I feel, you know, when you think about it and look it back, like, I feel like that is part of that exploration of, of, like, the... The both sides of of Johnny Utah's maleness, right? Do you like get that feeling, like maybe when you think about it, or yeah? I mean, I could I can see where you're 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 seeing that as far as you know the the testosterone, the masculinity stuff is coming mm-hmm. from Bodhi, whereas we see the softer, more vulnerable stuff whenever we get scenes with just Tyler and and Keanu. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do agree with you that she's kind of underdeveloped, which is a shame because she's the only female character in the movie and we have a female director. Yeah. Um, Because I really do like the softer scenes with her as well. Um, Like the the scene right before they make love uh, when they're um, on on the surfboards and she's like talking to him about him looking happy. Yeah. You know, it's really connecting on that level, I think, like bringing out the softer side in him. Uh, allowing him to be vulnerable, which is kind of like now that I say it, that's kind of like manic pixie dream girlish, right? It is a, a little bit because that scene was all about her noticing things in right. him. It's all about Keanu, and it wasn't anything about her. And I think that what made that interesting, and it was subtextual, and that was what was interesting. But I wanted it not to be subtextual. Was to see 
the relationship of why she sees happiness in him and how that affects her right, right. in a way to build out her character and deepen that relationship mm-hmm. with them. And I think that would have been a really interesting point that would have like developed that relationship even further. I agree. And then the other scene I think about was, is the scene where she's tending to his wounds mm-hmm. and um, he's almost like about to tell her that he's a cop yeah. or he's an FBI agent. And she basically says, leave it for another time or something like that. Right. And, uh, that's also a very nice, intimate, vulnerable moment, but it is all about him also. Uh, still. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's made to believe that maybe she thinks he's going to say, I love you or something. Right. But it's just, no, save it for later. And I was almost expecting her to say something in a follow-up way, like, you know, we don't need to talk about this right now. You've been through a lot or whatever, just mm-hmm. to say, yeah, I know what you feel you don't need to tell me and have that miscommunication thing to help, again, set up mm-hmm. some of the stuff that's about to happen. But we would have learned a little bit more about her and her ability to also give this trust mm. to him that Bodhi talks about later, about how she never felt that way towards him. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one more thing about her, her as a character that I find disappointing, but I'm going to save that for the next segment. I do want to talk about Lori Petty, because I asked you and then I, I, I didn't get your, uh, I didn't give you a chance to answer. What did you think about Lori Petty's performance uh, as Tyler? I, I, I probably going to be way general and complimentary about <laughs> a lot of these people is because I enjoyed her. I thought she was, she was fun. I thought mm-hmm. she brought the subtext that I wanted her to say to the scenes that we didn't unfortunately get to see. Mm-hmm. And I thought she brought depth of that character to something that should have had more lines. Right, yeah. I, I, uh, I'm i a, a big fan of Lori Petty generally. I, I think we stand Lori Petty on this show a little bit. We, uh, we're, uh, we're a huge fan of, of Tank Girl on this show. Tank Girl is, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Tank Girl, uh, but it's this like really low-budget 90s um, sci-fi comedy flick, and Lori Petty's the star. She plays Tank Girl, and it's such a wild ride. It's really good. Um, she's also in A League of Their Own, um, she plays, uh, Kit, right? Kit, yeah. 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 Uh, uh, Gina, Gina Davis's, that... um, younger sister. Just put it together. Yeah. She also, um, was in, uh, Orange is the New Black. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, she's, she's a great performer. Yeah. I think that she's always bringing her all into all of these roles. She has like this really cool spunk to her delivery. She's great. I do wish that she was given more to do with this role. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then of course like the main the main sexual energy though in the movie is between <laughs> Keanu and Patrick Swayze. That's that's real. That is real. Yeah. What? Well, tell. Give me your thoughts on the bromance. I mean, you you really see the bromance hit in that as we already talked about earlier, the big moment where Keanu is firing the gun in the air, yeah. right? In a way, it's a little bit of a a, a release an orgasm in a sense <laughs> after that yeah. that that run, right? Right. But they put like Cat Bigelow like takes such a moment to stare deep in Patrick Swayze's eyes. So we can all stare deep into his we eyes. We all see that. It's like we stare in Patrick Swayze's eyes. Then we stare into Keanu's eyes. Mm-hmm. Then we got to go back and we got to look one more time deep into Patrick's eyes before the gun fires off and then he runs away. I I mean, that that scene right there says it all. But yeah. I think, you know, each time... At 5 a.m., when Bodhi comes and gets uh, uh, Johnny Utah out of bed, you you feel that bromance in a sense because 
any right-minded person would be like, dude, mm-hmm. why are you doing this right yeah. now? We didn't talk about this. And yet he acquiesces each time with kindness in his eyes mm-hmm. and excitement in his heart. So you can see that he's wanting to be wherever he is more so beyond just the, the FBI case around it. Mm-hmm. He's there because that of, of that uh, uh, personal energy that he feels with him. They kind of let each other get away with a lot more than they should. Oh yeah. All the time. All the time. Uh, and not just, not just Johnny towards Bodie the other way around too. Yeah. They because, push boundaries. Right. Because like when, when, uh, when Bodie's uh, gang is like, we got to get out of here. He's an FBI agent. He, you know, we got to skip town. Bodie's the one who's like, no, I, I want to reach him. I know how to deal with him. Yeah. And it's almost like he, he wants, he, he wants Johnny to, to just like reach this point of, of self actualization in a way. So in a way, like Bodie is also a manic pixie dream girl. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> he's got the hair for it's it. It's all he's... about, jo- this movie's <laughs> all about Johnny Utah's journey to self actualization. Literally, yeah. like when at the end he throws away his badge, that's Johnny Utah fully realized, you know, he's like, now I know who I am, <laughs> long hair and all. And it just took like this whole movie to get him there. But yeah, but I feel like, yeah, I feel like, the, the he's more concerned with that than when the with and that's almost like his his fatal flaw. Mm-hmm. Like we're talking about when an unstoppable force meets an unmovable object. It's literally the wave thinking that they can move the coastline, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then that's what's the downfall. Yeah, yeah. Keanu is a, a very sturdy coastline that is not going to move. I'm sorry, Patrick. It's just not going to happen. Sorry, Patrick. Sorry, Pat Pat. Sorry, Bodie. You were sleeping on that one, wakefulness. So we're going to go into our final segment. This one's called... Ooh, that's problematic. We're talking about how the film has aged or what problematic aspects we see in this movie. It was a movie from 1991. So what did you, what did you pick out? I mean, the toxic masculinity is, is the biggest (laughs) thing I feel like in there. It's just, that behavior is not anything that should be glorified at this point. And I, I just, I don't know. Do you think the movie glorifies it though? Well, no, I don't think it glorifies it as we've talked about before, but I just think that that's, that's the you know in movies nowadays i don't think that that's something that people want to see or at least i don't want to see mm-hmm. i i don't know i just have a lot of problem with toxic masculinity and i don't think they did it in a way that was glorifying it in any way but i just you know there there are still moments in there where um i feel like bodhi is sexualizing people in a, in a way, even though the camera doesn't do it, but the, the character does in, in yeah. a way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't think it's... Uh, it's ever never shown as like a positive thing, right? right? Yeah. I feel like um, masculinity is kind of the Achilles heel mm-hmm. of these characters a lot. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it does exist in the movie. And I feel like, you know, it's more of like a cultural thing, right? If that's what comes across as like these... This is surf culture. Surf culture. And also... Like all the police banter. Yeah. That's police culture. You know? Yeah. And then the Nazi banter. That's Nazi culture. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I don't think that there's there's a lot of other action movies from this era 
where I think like toxic masculinity is kind of celebrated and uh, glorified. Mm-hmm. Um, I can think of like a couple, like maybe like a commando or, you know, like maybe um, all the, all the um, Rambo movies, except for the first one, which is actually good. But the, all the other ones are just basically about Sylvester Stallone being a man and kicking ass. Yeah. That's kind of like toxic to the <laughs> nth degree. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but it's really fascinating that, that, that it does exist in this movie, though. Um, going back to to Tyler's character, I do think that one of the things that's ultimately problematic about her character is that she is eventually just succumbs to being a woman in danger trope. Right. And and you get that at the, the sort of end when she's tied up and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden she shows up in the like lingerie thing. Yeah. Where, yeah. Like, it's like out of character because she's never worn anything that feminine yeah. in the entire movie. Right. And then we seeing her in that, you know, it's it's not like revealing or anything, but it's still it's too girly for her. Right. It didn't feel on brand for the character, which then made me wonder whether that was something that they put on her. Yeah. I mean, the costume which director is put it on her. <laughs> well, yeah, like the costumes. But I'm wondering, uh, like, as oh, like Bodhi when they kidnapped her, they just Rose, put it on yeah, her. Yeah. Like if that's something they had and they said, here, you deal yeah. with this. Yeah, I could, I could see that. I, I could, could see, see it even being like uh, one of Bodhi's many ladies had left that somewhere. And that was the thing that they right. had. And so they're like, here, you're wearing this now. Because it would have been, I feel like it would have been more satisfying if we had dealt with the fallout of the deception. Mm-hmm. I don't think that the movie ever does. Like she, 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 she's free, and so she goes and hugs Johnny, and then that's it. Right. They never actually deal with like follow through with with the deception, Johnny's deception, and I feel like that would have rounded out her character more and his character more. Yeah. In their relationship. Yeah, because it literally goes from her waking him up, finding the the badge to the next time they meet is her coming to him. Yeah. And you you miss all of that relationship stuff. Mm-hmm. But that's because we're more worried about the bromance in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I and I honestly I don't know that the movie needs her in danger for the final act to work. No. Because yeah. it's all about Johnny and Bodie. Mm-hmm. I feel like they would follow each other to the ends of the earth. And it and then Johnny's reason for going at with him or after him is because he wants he wants to catch him right because that's his job, that's his job. so yeah. it doesn't make any sense to me that they would have to coerce him through capturing tyler and holding her hostage yeah because they've never needed a pawn mm-hmm. to get him to do anything else up to that point mm-hmm. Like the only thing, I guess, it's how it motivates him to be a part of the robbery. But there's got to be like some other way that they could have done that mm-hmm. without like succumbing to a woman in danger. Yeah, the damsel in distress sort of idea. Yeah, that was a little disappointing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the other big thing that I find really problematic, it's not just in this movie. It's like all movies that fit this certain type First of all, I'm going to like frame this with the positive and say that movies set in California and set in L.A., they just have like a magical quality to them. Yeah, I, we, we should all just be surfers and have bon, beach bonfires and yeah. drink Coronas and play football on the sand. L.A., I mean, every time that I've been to L.A., 
I also feel kind of like a weird <laughs> magic energy in the air. It's the sunshine, I think. There's something about that city. <laughs> like, there's the pink hue in the sky that's the pollution, but it looks beautiful. It does, somehow. Yeah, and uh, and all the palm trees. <sighs> like, even when you're going through, like, the worst neighborhoods, you have fucking palm trees. And they're beautiful. So, even the worst neighborhood is amazing to be in. Palm trees and sunshine will make me happy all day long. There's also one other thing that I feel... There's a lot of in Southern California and L.A., and those are Hispanic people. <laughs> There's a lot of people from Mexican descent, other Latinx people, but movies from the 80s and 90s, many from the 2000s, that take place in California and in L.A. specifically, somehow don't have any Latinx characters at all. It is a very white movie. It's a very white movie. There's only one Latinx character, and he was a police officer. Uh, his name was Alvarez. We only, we, only see, we only hear his last name. He was one of the, the dipshit cops. Uh, one of the, the, the two broy dudes? Mm-hmm. Okay. But that's it. That's the only one. None of the surfers... Surf, Latinx people love to surf. <laughs> I'm sure of it. There's millions of like people, Latinx people in LA. There's got to be some La- Latino surfers right, out there. Right. Surfing isn't a white sport. It's is, not is a essentially white sport. kind of what it boils down to. Is it's not. We, it's, we couldn't get like one Latin character, just one like major. I mean, like not, not apart from Alvarez. Like one major Latin character, right? Any of any of the people in Bodie's group who all had nice supporting roles in there, they could have yeah. done any of that. And they a, were all blonde. They were all blonde. Most of them had dudes. long hair. Here's the funny thing to me: the group that they they call out as the Nazi group, they were browner than Bodie's crew. <laughs> they didn't look like Nazis. With all very dark hair. Right. Yeah, it was interesting. It was really weird uh, how they chose to do that. Like, even Anthony Kiedis, he doesn't have a Nazi look. No, not at all. Not (laughs) one bit. Like, so all the people of color in this movie are just, are either uh, just like throwaway supporting actors or bad guys, like irredeemable bad guys. I find that extremely problematic. I would say I would agree with you on that. <laughs> Absolutely. I think you could have cast, in, well, I mean, any number of any of the roles, honestly, yeah. with anybody, because there's nothing specific about any of them to be that way. Right. Like you could have had, why couldn't, uh, I mean, again, I love the actors and I love the characters, but why couldn't like Tyler, for example, be a Latinx mm-hmm. woman? Why couldn't Bodie be Latinx? Gary Busey could that role Why could have been that role been Latinx? Yeah. Why couldn't Alvarez be his partner? <laughs> right. So yeah, that doesn't make any any sense to me why those movies like just completely ignore. I feel like that's a problem in Hollywood in general. Like even when they try to have like uh, African American and or black representation, I feel like a lot of what gets dropped is Latinx representation. Mm-hmm. Like, even when there are um, Latinx, for example, black Latinx actors in roles, 
they're playing them as just the blackness, but they're forgetting the Latinx part of the role. Right. One part of themselves instead of the whole part of themselves. Like, I think like Zoe Zaldana, for example, is hardly ever plays like a Latinx person. I think like in Colombiana, she plays a Latinx person, but usually she's either playing like an alien, first of all, <laughs> or she's playing like a black role. And there's a lot of like uh, Latinx, black Latinx actors that I can think of that that also fall into that trope. Like Hollywood is more comfortable with them being black than than Latino, which mm-hmm. is weird to me. Which is always Saldana would have been a fun person in that role, in the Tyler role. Yeah, I mean, she would have been like really young. Well, in in this era, but maybe if it in was the remake, in right? A remake of it, having her in that. But I'm just like trying to envision her as that Tyler character, and I think she'd be super interesting. She would in be that. super interesting. She's amazing because she also, I think, like has that kind of tomboyish energy, yeah, to her a little bit. Did you uh, pick out anything else problematic or nothing jumped out? I was trying to think through like. If there were any jokes that they said that I w- I'm like trying to think of, I know they they uh, they did not succumb to like making any like gay jokes, which is right. surprising for that time. Because I feel like they there would have been like at least a couple, but this one didn't do that. So I was happy for that. So let's wrap up our conversation here. Um, so the film uh, was made during the early days of 1990s extreme sports craze. Uh, during which the public, especially young people, became more interested in sports like skateboarding, snowboarding, skydiving, mountain biking. Uh, The increased interest in extreme sports during the 90s would later give birth to the X Games and the Winter X Games. So all that trend kind of got kick-started with this movie. So really we can say it's because of Point Break that we have the X Games. You could say that. (laughs) That is something that you are capable of saying. I did say it. It's it's here. It was it's said here on GSB. Recorded for posterity. <laughs> so put that in your dissertation. Um, another interesting cameo that, that we haven't talked about is Tom Sizemore. He has an uncredited role as a DEA agent uh, in the Nazi house. He's the guy um, who, after they do the bus and kill all the people, he reveals that he's actually been working them for three months. Um, and he puts up a couple of keys of uncut meth. Ironically, six years later, during the filming of Saving Private Ryan, he was battling a drug addiction of his own uh, and was almost fired by Steven Spielberg, who made him take a drug test every day to make sure that he was sober. Wow. So it's a little about like art imitating life there Yeah. for Tom Sizemore. Um, I've always thought that he was fun, but yeah, he's one of those actors that's always struggled with his demons and addiction, and uh, which is a shame because he's always um, he's always he always puts on a really good performance. What else has he been in? I'm I like I, the well, name in is... this in this time period. He was actually it's interesting that he played a DA officer in this because he was also in a movie that we saw on DSB, uh, True Romance, okay. which was released I think in like 1992, um, if I remember correctly, or 90 or it might have been 90. Uh, but anyway, so he was he played a um, a police officer in that as well. Okay. A D, I think it was a DEA officer as well. And that movie was about a drug bust okay. also. Okay. No. He very, he's just it's one of there. those guys. You it's know? there. I know. He was just... I mean, what, what can you expect? <laughs> you make him act around drugs, like, of course, he's going to fall into the trap. So, um, one of the things that I think about when I watch this movie... Have you ever seen The Fast and the Furious? I have never seen any... Of the Fast and the Furious Shame. movies. 
I feel like the first Fast and the Furious is kind of a remake of this, too. Yeah? It's pretty much the exact same story. Like, uh, Scott Walker? No, Yeah, yeah. Uh, Paul Walker. Paul Walker and uh, Vin, Diesel. Vin Diesel. Their bromance, right? That's There's mega bromance. <laughs> and I feel like Paul Walker, it kind of he's he's playing an undercover cop. Okay. And who infiltrates uh, an extreme sport. Street racing. street racing, yeah, and uh, Vin Diesel, all with all his talk about family and all that shit, he's kind of a Bodie-esque character. Okay, uh, you need to rectify that. Fast and the Furious is also great, but it's not as good as this movie. But it's also pretty good. It's, it's. I think it comes back to that toxic masculinity stuff. It's a real turnoff. I, that, if I feel you know, like there's a lot of that in a movie, I'm like, I don't know. You know, there is a lot of that, but. <laughs> I, I, well, I don't know. Now I'm kind of afraid to say what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. I feel like, if I remember correctly, because it's been uh, like a while since I've seen it, I feel like the female characters in Fast and the Furious are more well-rounded out than in this movie. And Well, at the very least, you have like more than one. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well maybe if, we, if you do uh, Fast and the Furious on GSV, I can come back and I'll listen and watch, watch that with you. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, it's interesting to me. I feel like it's uh, it, it's almost like a, a remake of this movie. So final thoughts. We just talked about this movie for an hour and a half. We watched it for the first time. What did you think about Point Break? Where do you fall? Do you think it's a, a bad movie, a so-so movie, a good movie, a great movie? Where do you land? I, I enjoyed the movie, so I would lean it... A, a touch higher than so-so. So it's. I, I would say it's like a fun, enjoyable movie that uh, could have been better with uh, a little, you know, reworking here and there on some things. But overall, it's still enjoyable. And still enjoyable. Okay. Okay. So you would rate it a a so-so plus. A so-so plus. It's a so-so plus. Yeah. Verging on good. Yeah. Which is like uh, if I'm. If, I, t- I asked you earlier, I was like, do you want me to give like a 10 scale? I would put it like a 6-7 on there. Okay. okay. Which is like, it's a fun movie that I would be happy to come back and watch again, but it's not m- going to be my... Well, you own favorite. it now. <laughs> I do. I, someday <laughs> when, I'll own when it When the anyway. DVD comes, so you have to watch it. I mean, why would you own a movie if you're not going to watch it? I, I'm going to watch it. Now. So, I have to. Yeah, now you have to. Um, I think that this movie is a good movie verging on so-so. Okay. So I will give it a good, good minus. minus. <laughs> so we meet in there. We meet in there. Yeah, I think I think I'm probably just a little more um, just give it a little more positivity than maybe you do. I've seen the movie quite a bit um, and so I can pick out things from it, I think, that yeah. that influence my decision. But there, there are things that I really love about the movie. Um, I feel like Catherine Bigelow really nails male relationships uh-huh. or at least like this type of male relationship like because I mean I'm not this kind of person I'm not a jock yeah I'm not Johnny Utah quarterback from the Ohio State yeah was it, Johnny Utah from Ohio was I, it Ohio or was it Michigan Ohio because yeah. he went to Ohio State from and Ohio he played State. in the, the Rose Bowl yeah which uh, coincidentally, that's not the first. That's not the the only movie that he plays a uh, quarterback from Ohio State. Really? In the replacements, he also oh, plays a quarterback from Ohio State. Is he from? Where is he? Where's Keanu from? I think he's Canadian. Is he? Okay, that makes sense. I think. For some reason, Keanu's one of those people that he seems like 
he's Hawaiian to me, <laughs> right? But is from Canada. And also like Vancouver. Also, do you, like, do you think it's kind of weird that he to, he is in the surfer movie and he doesn't know anything about surfer, but yet he has a naturally surfer sounding voice? It is interesting that he's he is sort of that. Uh, surfer bro when you think of it is mm-hmm. you think of like that Keanu voice it's like oh my god right. hey let's go surfing and stuff but it, yeah he doesn't know anything about it he was born in Beirut Lebanon oh but he is Canadian he's his nationality is Canadian um his father is native Hawaiian huh so that's where he gets the Hawaii vibe cause he does he has I think he's he qualifies technically as Asian American. He just doesn't like quite look it all fully. Right. But he qualifies as Asian American. And he does have like kind of like a that kind of look to it. His grandmother is Chinese Hawaiian. His mother uh, was working in Beirut when they when they met. So is she Lebanese then? I don't think so. Uh, she was just working in Beirut. Okay. So like American working in Beirut. Well, Canadian. Canadian. Canadian, that's right. Yeah. And then they, I guess they spent time in Hawaii and Australia, and then they moved to Toronto. Yeah. That's so interesting. It is interesting. I know he's he's super, like, community-oriented and has given a lot back to charities yeah. and creates a lot of charity work and does a lot of this stuff. He's and very wholesome. He is... There's it, a whole subreddit dedicated to him called Wholesome Keanu. Really? It just, like, highlights all the great things Good that he things does. He does. Yeah, he's super. He's super wholesome. Uh, I, I caught something in here. I want to. I want to ask you about it. Maybe. Okay. Maybe you know about it. Maybe you don't. They. They talk about this place that they went to eat called Patrick's Roadhouse. Yeah, it's a reference to Patrick Swayze's movie Roadhouse. Roadhouse. I wondered if that's what it was. I wrote down Patrick Roadhouse reference to Roadhouse. Yeah, it is. Okay. Roadhouse is the Roadhouse, which I think is also a, a great movie. I mean, in, in the same vein. But that has a lot more toxic, like flat out toxic masculinity yes. than this movie. There's yes. not there's not a like dissecting of it. It's like flat out like Patrick Swayze is a badass because he's a man. Right. Right. He's he's the manly man and he's there to show you that he's a manly man. I've seen it only on like the TV edit version of it. But yeah, it's a lot. It's a fun movie, though. It's a lot of fun. It, like, it's it's something. I mean, because it's, <laughs> it's, it's over the top. Like. It, like him doing like the roundhouse kicks and stuff. Like there's like the one that he does. Um, <laughs> there's a scene on the beach by a lake. I remember where he just like kicks this guy in the face. And <laughs> it's so badass. But yeah, it's over the top ridiculous. So I, I find this movie really enjoyable. Uh, it is over the top. I feel like the the, the action's tight. Yeah. It has that Catherine Bigelow against style. Whereas like a lot of like a lot of other directors, I think would highlight. Um, the, I don't know, like the explosiveness of it, for lack of a better word. She really like highlights like the cat and mouse aspect of it. Yeah. Like the chasing we were talking about, like it really feels small and claustrophobic. Yeah. Well, it, all of those, most of the chasing happened in small, narrow, right. narrow uh, walkways that were really only big enough for a person to go mm-hmm. through. Right. And I thought that was so interesting because because of that tightness, it both felt fast mm-hmm. because it was so tight, but also that that dynamic, that chase dynamic was so cool. Mm-hmm. And then the backyard scene where you're going over all of the obstacles through the pool yeah. and jumping, like, amazing. Yeah, it is, like you said, it is parkour-like. It's parkour-like. <laughs> <laughs> so so I enjoy all of that from the movie. Uh, where, where I find the movie, like, has its faults, I feel like um, the female characters 
could have been better realized. It could have been more of them. Um, I feel like the movie is a little long. It's a little exhausting. Um, uh, especially like when you know what's gonna happen, I feel like. Maybe the first time, maybe if I remember like my first time, maybe I was more glued to the screen, but after having watched it and knowing what happens, I'm like, okay. let's get there. Okay. There's a there's a little bit of a lull in between like the second act and the third act that I wish wasn't there. The movie could really, it's two hours and like six minutes long. The movie could have really like, I think cut 15 minutes and still been great, shown everything that it shows, you know? Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of like, maybe... We don't need that many shots lingering of them surfing. We don't need that many shots of them like doing ballet in the sky. The, you know? I, yeah, yeah. They the uh, the definitely the sky ballet could have been cut down a little bit and, mm-hmm. and just hit some of the, the the big moments. You could, yeah. I, I can see where you could pick out some moments in there and streamline. I didn't feel that way in my mm-hmm. first watching mm-hmm. of it, but I can I can retrospectively think that. Yeah. So so there are a lot of faults in the movie, but overall I enjoyed a lot. It is a classic of male cinema, I guess. <laughs> is that a new genre, male cinema? I mean, I'm, I don't know. Male cinema probably refers to a different thing. <laughs> um, but this is definitely like one of those movies like where you, you know, you think about like, you know, brotastic movies. Yeah. This is in that conversation. And there's like certain things that you're just always going to remember. Like, like Johnny Utah choosing not to shoot his friend and unloading the clip into the sky. In fact, in in uh, Hot Fuzz, it's that scene is referenced in that in that movie, and uh, where he, he references the scene, and then he says that it, that's a ridiculous thing. Like Simon Pegg's character says, that's a ridiculous thing that would never happen, or something like that. And, and then it actually happens in their in their movie. It actually happens. So it's it's a lot of fun, um, and uh, yeah, I enjoy watching it every single time I watch it. It's not one of my favorites, but it is a really good movie. Yeah, it's fun. I, I would watch it again. I, I, again, like I said, I don't know that it's going to be a thing that I come to every year. Mm-hmm. I have other movies for that, mm-hmm. but it, it is going to be one of those things that maybe whenever I want that that LA nostalgia, if I want to feel like I'm on the West Coast, maybe I. It does make you really wish you were in California <laughs> in this movie and surfing and surfing, just being in the ocean right now. <laughs> Well, that does it for us here on GSP for another episode. Thank you, Gabe, for watching Point Break with me. Yes, thanks for having me. I had a lot of fun. I hope that you join me again for another episode. I would love to. Uh, And thank you all out there for listening to this podcast. And I hope you guys join us next time where we're going to watch another exciting, schlocky movie masterpiece. Until then, don't dive off the plane. Just go watch a movie instead. It's much safer. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. Just sex. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. Just sex. You guys always bring the very best violence. Just sex. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. Just sex. You guys always bring the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. You guys always bring the very best violence. Just sex. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. Just sex. You guys always bring the very best violence.